Welcome to the Connection Point Church Podcast. We hope to be an encouragement throughout your week. New episodes are available every Sunday evening and Thursday evening. We also invite you to join us live on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. Amen, amen. How many are thankful for what the Lord has done in your life? Amen? Amen. We're going to get into the scripture today again. I want to thank you if you are visiting with us. So glad to have you at Connection Point Church. Amen. On this Sunday morning. Amen. We're going to get right into the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. I want to take your attention today to the book of Luke chapter 15. The book of Luke chapter 15 beginning in verse 8. And during our midweek services, as I mentioned, we have just been going through a study on the parables. We've been talking about these kingdom truths that are in story form. And it is these parables that Jesus uses some 50 to even and upwards of about 120, depending on how you define what a parable is. Jesus tells or shares these kingdom truths by way of story form. And it's here as we've been studying that the Lord over the past week has just impressed upon my heart to direct our attention here in Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 8, to a specific story. We taught on it Wednesday. We've kind of touched on it in weeks past, but I want to just I want to re-examine it here this morning. I believe the Lord has something for us here today. So in Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 8, the Bible says, Or what woman, having ten silver coins... If she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, that coin, that thing of value, she calls her friends and her neighbors together saying, rejoice with me for I have found the peace which I have lost. Amen. I want to take your attention to one more portion of Scripture in the book of Matthew, chapter 7. Jesus shares with us this truth here in Matthew 7. He says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, amen, it will be opened. Amen. So for the next few moments, I just feel just impressed to preach on this simple subject, a spiritual awakening, a spiritual awakening. Amen. Can we just one more time? I know you've been standing. Can we just lift a hand towards heaven? Amen. I believe the Lord wants to awaken relocate and identify some things in our life here today. Can we pray? Father, we love you, Jesus. Thank you so much for your grace and for your glory. I pray, God, that you would just minister to every heart and every life. God, it's in this place today. Awaken within us a hunger, a spiritual desire, Lord, for a move of God in our life, in our home, our family, our communities. And in our church, we give you praise and we give you glory. 
We ask it in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen. You can finally be seated today. Amen. Unless you want to stand, we'll allow that as well. A spiritual, spiritual awakening. I don't know if you've been paying attention to the news over the past few weeks. If you have, it's been quite a roller coaster. We've been had all sorts of just wild events in the news cycles from UFOs slash balloons being shot down to trains derailing full of chemical spills to threats of wars and rumors of war. But tucked in the middle of all of just the craziness that's taking place in this world today is a story about a spiritual awakening that is taking place at a college called Asbury. It began on February 8th as a normal Wednesday morning of classes and chapel service. As was typical each and every Wednesday, students at Asbury University, a small Christian college locating in Wilmore, Kentucky, began to file into Hughes Auditorium for their 10 a.m. chapel service. You see, being enrolled in Asbury requires each student to attend a certain number of chapel services throughout the semester. So for the most of the students at Asbury, showing up to chapel was just a, a matter of weekly routine. They would wake up. They would they would perhaps go to an early class. They would shuffle into the, into the dining hall for breakfast. And then, as was customary for every Wednesday morning, they would file in to the auditorium for their chapel service. According to university president Dr. Kevin Brown, this particular Wednesday was just an ordinary service. He said, I would call it pretty unremarkable. The setup was and still remains simple. No projector screens, no high-tech integrations, no flashy marketing or lights, just wooden sanctuary chairs filled with people and an open altar call at the conclusion of each service with an invitation to pray and to respond to God. By the conclusion of this student and faculty-led service just a little over 10 days ago, a multicultural gospel choir was scheduled to sing the final song during which students were invited to come to the front to pray, to seek and respond to God. All was ordinary, as the president of the university stated himself fairly unremarkable up to that point. But it would, what would happen next would spark a series of events that would be anything but ordinary. Because what started with just a handful of students and a few faculty coming to the front to pray at the conclusion of their chapel still has not concluded yet. Some, some 10 days later, in that same auditorium, that same university, those same students are still praying, seeking God, repenting, singing, and chasing after the presence of God in their midst. You see, a few students stuck around afterwards for their usual time of prayer. After it had passed, they would typically leave. But, but on this occasion, the students just didn't want to go. They were struck by what some described as a quiet but a powerful sense of transcendence. And they didn't want to leave. And so they stayed and they 
continued to worship and they continued to pray and they continued to seek God as they lingered in the presence. They described what they felt as just a, a, a presence of God that was tangible in that altar. Some prayed, others sang quietly, and as hours passed and students were still in the chapel seeking after God, praying and praising and repenting and seeking God with intercession for healing and wholeness and peace and forgiveness, by evening more and more students began to trickle into that chapel, creating something that has been described as undescribable. By 2 a.m. there were about 150 to 200 students in that chapel seeking God's face and praying for revival on their campus. According to faculty that witnessed the drawing of the Holy Spirit by those who remained and would come after, it was a totally organic and student-led phenomenon. God was clearly up to something in this, in this Methodist seminary and university. Those who were in attendance were not cheerleading, begging, marketing, or promoting what was taking place in that place. As described it as just simply God was moving on the students and the students were responding with prayer and with praise and with repentance. By the next morning, even more people were showing up to this seminary in the middle of Kentucky. By Thursday evening, it was standing room only. And as news of what was taking place began to spread on social media, students had begun to arrive from other universities, including the University of Kentucky, the University of the Cumberlands, Purdue University, Indiana Wesleyan University, Ohio Christian University, Transylvania University, Midway University, Lee University, Georgetown College, Mount Vernon, Nazarene University, and so on. As the days and as the hours continued to pass, the students continued to pray in that same altar. And as they prayed, and as they praised, and as they worshipped, and as they repented, and as they sought God, more and more people continued to show up. Visitors began hearing about what was being called the Asbury Revival, and groups started arriving from Massachusetts to Hawaii, and from Canada to Singapore, and upwards of 5,000 people flooded the lawn around the chapel as traffic jams surrounded that tiny campus. As videos began to appear on TikTok and Instagram, and receiving hundreds of millions of views, people began just showing up from out of nowhere. It was, you can see pictures and images and videos all over the internet of people praying and swaying to worship music, weeping and repenting of their sins and encouraging the testimonies of those in attendance. Although social media has served as a lightning rod for this event, Asbury faculty and students say that they were cautious not to market or brand what was happening because those present insisted that this revival that is taking place in Asbury, this awakening, whatever you want to call it, this stirring, this hunger, this crying out, this move of God that's taking place is not a product of hype or manipulation or some person's agenda. But those who are in attendance say they are being drawn by a genuine presence of God's Spirit and a sincere hunger for more of God. In fact, I want to tell you this morning, Connection Point Church, that not just on some tiny campus 
called Asbury University, but really all across the world, that every great revival throughout history, throughout the centuries, is a product of ordinary people that humble themselves before a mighty God. And that they begin seeking God without the help of assistance or hype or promotion or slick marketing. I want to tell you that what's taking place at this college, this university in Wilmore, Kentucky, is not something that's new or something that's novel, but what it is is a demonstration of the reality that we serve a God that is still interested in moving in the midst of a people who will humble themselves, who will search after Him, and who will call on His name. I want to tell you today, in case you were mistaken, you don't need to be a certain from a certain demographic or a certain people or a certain location or a certain place to have a hunger in your heart for more of God. I want to tell you, you don't need an expensive suit or a perfect facility. You don't need a big church to experience a move of God in your life. I want to tell you today, all you need is a genuine hunger and dissatisfaction for the things around you and a desire to cry out to God with all of your heart and say, Lord, I'm not satisfied with where I am. I'm not satisfied with my current experience. I'm not satisfied with my current relationship. God, I need more of you in my life. Revival's nothing new. Revival comes out of a hunger and a passion and a sacrifice when God's people will come together with a longing in their heart to to move past the status quo, to move past the ordinary and the mundane and desire a move of God in their life more than anything else on their schedule or in their agenda. I want to tell you, God is just looking for a people, whether it's in Wilmore, Kentucky, or Trafalgar, Indiana, or across the globe. He's searching throughout this world, just looking for a people that are hungry enough to move past the ordinary and mundane of their schedule and routine and say, God, more than anything, I need a deeper revelation. I need a deeper reality. I need a deeper relationship with you. To the book of Psalms, chapter 85, verse 6, that the psalm writer says, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? You see, throughout history, the cry of God's people has always been, Lord, Would you revive us again? Would you revive us with your presence? Would you revive us with your power? And it's in those cries of more of God's power, more of God's presence, a a revival and a stirring among God's people that the Lord has responded faithfully to meet his people at a place of humility and contrition and desire. We find in the book of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 33, we find a story of God leading the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt was the story of an of a exodus of God's people out of Egypt, which in the natural represents what God's people experience in a spiritual sense. Egypt was a type of the world. Egypt was a type of bondage and spiritual.
spiritual enslavement. And, and God heard the cries of his people longing to be redeemed and to be delivered. And, and God, hearing their cries, raised up a man by the name of Moses. And Moses went before Pharaoh and said, let my people go that they may worship me. And, and all through a mighty hand of God, through mighty miracles, God released this people to, to go and to worship him out into the wilderness. And, and through a mighty hand and through the passing of the Red Sea, God delivered his people from the mighty hand of Pharaoh. And as they were seeking after God and, and walking with the Lord, the Bible tells us as they're passing through this wilderness season that God became frustrated with his people for they were hard-hearted and they were stiff-necked and, and they were a rebellious people. And God came to Moses and said, Moses, I'm going to send an angel with you on this journey because I can't be with this people. They're hard-hearted, they're stubborn, and they're rebellious. And so I will send an angel and I will meet you in your promised land. I cannot go with you, Moses. I, I cannot go with this people. My presence cannot be with you lest I, lest I turn on this people. And the Bible says that Moses cried out to God with the cry that should be in each and every one of our hearts this morning, a cry that's taking place in Wilmore, Kentucky, when Moses declared, he says, if your presence doesn't go with us, then don't even, then I'm not leaving where I am. He says, I don't want to go without your presence. I don't want to go without your spirit. I don't want to go without you in our midst. And the Lord began to respond and the people began to repent and they began to put off all of their worldliness and all of the fixtures of Egypt in their life and they began to cling to God with a renewed consecration and devotion and the Bible says that the Lord went with them by a pillar of cloud by day in a fire by night. But it's this cry of the longing of desire that Moses and the people of Israel demonstrated in Exodus chapter 3 that I believe is a cry that we all need to have at some point in our life. That God, I don't want to go through this life without your presence. I don't want to go through this wilderness. I don't want to go through this journey. I don't want to go through this trial or this tribulation without a move of your spirit in my life. I want to tell you what's taking place in Kentucky is the same thing that should be taking place in Trafalgar and anywhere and everywhere where God's people will come together. God, I don't want to just get to where you want me to go. Lord, I want you to be with me every step of the way. Come on, is that your desire today? Is that the longing of your heart today? Is that your hunger today? That there would be an awakening, a revival, a fresh move and demonstration of the power and the presence of God in your life and in your family and in your church. God wants to move on His people, but He's just waiting for us to cry out and to respond with a longing. So we find here in this text that I've read for you today, in the book of Luke chapter 15, verses 8 through 9, we find this parable that Jesus is sharing with a people. And He's doing so to convey a point, to convey a spiritual principle. And as you study the parables, each parable, and this parable included, you have to uncover what is taking place in the story. 
According to author David Butrick, who wrote a book that we've been taking a look at called, uh, called uh, Reading the Parables, that he says there's three things that you have to identify in each and every one of these parable stories. He says you've got to identify what is the context, and, and he says you've got to identify what are the characters, and then you've got to identify what is unique or what he calls curious about the text. And he says when you've done that, when you've identified the context, the character, and then what is the tension or what is unique about that particular text, he says therein will you find what is so extraordinary about God's grace. And so we find here in Luke chapter 15 that Jesus is telling this parable in the midst of three parables. And he's responding to some criticisms and he's responding to the critique of these Pharisees and these Sadducees, these religious elitists that were criticizing Jesus for fellowshipping with people who were outside of the good favor of the, of the religious establishment of those days. And they were criticizing him because they said he's hanging out with sinners and with tax collectors. And, and, and if he was such a spiritual man, why would he be hanging out with all these, all these common people? And so Jesus, in responding to that particular criticism that he was receiving, began to tell three parables. He told the parable of the, of the shepherd that left the 99 to go after that one sheep. And he told the parable of the father who had a prodigal son that, that left and, and ultimately came back to be received with arms open wide wide. And in the middle of these two parables, Jesus tells the story of a woman that has lost one of her ten coins. And the context and the reason in which he is sharing this parable is to drive home a point. That when there is something that is of value, whether it is a sheep that's gone missing or a son that has walked astray or something of value inside of the house that Jesus has trying to get something through to these hard-hearted people that if there's something of value that just like that father that will that will embrace his son after a time of, of riotous living and just like that shepherd that goes searching after that sheep that's walked astray and just like this woman that goes searching in her house that if there is something of value to me that I'm willing to leave the 99 I'm willing to wrap my arms around the prodigal son and I'm willing to make the necessary changes to sweep my house light a candle and find that thing is missing and what we find here is a story that portrays a value of the kingdom of God that God is not interested on anything being lost whether it's a sheep or a son or something of value like a coin, that our Heavenly Father has gone on a mission to seek and to save that which is lost. And what I feel in the house today is as we come upon this middle parable that, that not everything that is lost like the sheep is outside of the house and not everything that is lost like that son who walked away from where he knew he should be but some things that are lost are right here in the house that never left the church. They never left the house of God. They never left the four walls of where God's presence is but somewhere along the way like this woman that lost her coin in the busyness of life and in the hustle and in the bustle of her daily routine somewhere along the way she realized that there was something missing in her life how often do we go through our religious obligations our spiritual routine and duty 
going through all the motions, coming to church, just living the Christian life and just doing all of the right things only to discover that there's something missing in your spiritual relationship with God. There's something missing in your walk with God that that, that you don't have the same passion that you used to have. You don't have the same desire for prayer that you used to have. You don't have the same longing for more of God that you used to have. There's something missing. You never left the house. You never rebelled. You never walked away. You never decided to leave the four walls of God's presence, but yet somewhere along the way you realize that that one of your coins is missing. That's where this woman was in this parable. The Bible says that she realized that something just wasn't right. So the scripture tells us that in realizing that there's something missing in her life, that she did three very important things. The first thing that she did, and what I believe is a precedent in Scripture for us today, when we feel that there is something missing in our midst, the very first thing that she did is she begins to light the lamp. I want to tell you here today that that lamp has been and always will be a fresh connection and fresh revelation from the Word of God. It was a psalm writer that said, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light into my path. I want to tell you that every great revival, from the Great Awakening to the Reawakening to Azusa Street Revival to everywhere throughout the Scripture, when people, the Christian church, or those who are who are who have an idle relationship with God, or just anyone, when they get a re when they get a re, a passion to to search the Scriptures, to to get reconnected to to Christianity, to biblical Christianity, and a desire to set aside the the routine and to set aside the indifference and to get serious and passionate about the Word of God that that something begins to stir in the hearts of God's people when they say we're going to set aside just going through the motions and religion and get back to what God wants to say and what God wants to do. I want to tell you at some point in each and every one of our lives we've got to just make a decision for ourselves that we are going to stand on the Word of God that we are going to live a life that is centered upon God's Word. She lit a lamp. She illuminated all the darkness that was around her. I want to tell you, this world is getting darker and darker and darker and darker and darker. You turn on the news and I'm going to tell you, there's so much confusion and division and corruption and perversion in this world today. It's like a room that's getting darker and darker and darker. You wonder why people don't know the difference between simple biological truths in our day and age. It's because this world is getting darker and darker and darker. People are stumbling around at basic cultural truths, basic scientific and biological truths because this world is getting darker and darker. The more we drift away from God's Word and more we drift away from His commandments and His instructions and His, His, His thoughts and His beliefs, we've got to realize the world is just getting darker. But when we can get back to the Word of God and we can open up His Word and we can light a fresh lamp of revival in our life. I want to tell you that's when God begins to illuminate the truth, the light from the darkness. I want to tell you it's not just true of a revival. It's true in our life and in our church and in our personal relationship with God. We've got to light the lamp. Second thing we find here, the Bible says that she began to sweep diligently. She swept her house. 
She didn't just light the lamp, but she got busy. The scripture says that she swept that house. In other words, she began to get her house in order. If you read through these articles about this awakening, this revival, however you want to categorize it in Wilmore, Kentucky at this Christian college and seminary, this awakening that is taking place is said to have begun by no unusual means. It was just a typical chapel service. Choir sang and there was a call and a response. News that perhaps the catalyst which stirred this initial group of seekers to come to that altar in the first place and to linger the way they did was the public confession and remorse of one of the students for something in his life that he was regretful of. He began to confess his sin openly and honestly before the student body. And one of the students that spurred, that spurred his classmates began to come forward. And one student after another began to come forward. And they were moved and they were stirred. And it was this, this repentance, this openness, this contrition, this honesty, this remorse that began to stir others in the place to begin to cry out and to seek after God, to put aside what is just maybe just going through the motions and to really let their heart cry out to where God is. You see, this woman was not going to find her coin. It was not going to find what was of value to her until she had a moment where she realized, I've got to get my house back in order. I've got to get my life back in order. I've got to get things back to where, where they need to be. I've got to get my priorities back. I've got to get my devotion and consecration to God back. I, I just want to tell you here today, God wants to move in the hearts of people. He's not come to condemn this world, but He's come that by the world that through Him the world might be saved. But in order for us to get our heart to a place where we can truly and fully respond to the Lord sometimes we've got to sweep our house long enough to get some things in order that we can find that, that, that thing that's of great value that's missing in our life and then she searched diligently she looked she searched she began searching for what was missing in her life see what I find is so powerful about this particular parable is that this parable relates to each and every one of us. We've all gone through times and seasons in our life perhaps where something we know is just missing in our life. A purpose, a passion, prayer, fellowship, community, church, desire, whatever it is. And so often times in life, instead of confronting the reality of what is lacking in our life, we just plow on through and just keep on moving, just keep on pushing and just hoping, well, things will get better in time or somehow it will all work out. But what we find here in this parable, this kingdom truth, that Jesus is portraying our, how our response should be. That this woman realized that there was something lacking in her life. The Bible says that she stopped long enough. She paused. She opened the Word of God. She got her house back in order and she searched until she found that thing that had been missing in her life. And what I feel just moving upon my heart here today as I read about groups of people, young people, in places like 
Kentucky and across the country and across the world who are renewing their passion and their desire for the things of God that, that God forbid we ever get to a place as people who profess and claim to be the gatekeepers of the presence of God, to, to know what the presence of God is all about, to know what the anointing is about, to know what it means to be a spirit-filled people in a spirit-filled church. God forbid that we ever get to a place where we become idle and indifferent to the things that are lacking and missing when we don't find ourselves hungering hungering and thirsting after righteousness like we used to. But I want to just say that just like this woman, we need to get to a place where we are stopping and pausing and seeking after God long enough to receive those things back that are lacking in our life. It's a call for consecration. And it's a call for desire. And it's a call for passion. It was in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 21. We find that Jesus is giving a word or a message to this church in Ephesus that I believe is applicable for us today. When he says, the things that he says who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and you cannot bear those that are evil. He said, I know you've tested those who are apostles, who say they are apostles but are not, and have found them to be liars, and you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. He said, I see all the coins that you've gathered and you've collected and you've kept. I see all of your good works. I, I see all your discernment. I, I see all, the, all your labor of love, your patience and your endurance. I, I know you've got a great collection of coins that you've accumulated. He said, nevertheless, I've got this one thing against you. That you have lost your first love. I want to tell you, Connection Point Church, what I'm preaching to today is a spirit and a mindset of apathy. That we would ever allow ourselves to get to a place to think that we've all got it figured out and we don't need anything and we know the truth and we've got this and we've got that all mapped out and figured out. But what I feel today is if we don't allow ourselves to continue with a hunger and a passion for the things of God, to allow God to stir us and awaken us in a fresh way, that God forbid we would ever be at a place where we would be content having lost the very thing that we once had so dearly. I want us to stand all over this place here today. There was an um, evangelist and a pastor by the name of T.W. Barnes. And he was considered a mighty preacher and minister in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s. And he tells a story of a time during the early 60s when something called the Jesus Movement was taking place on the West Coast which mainline denominal Protestants and Catholics beginning out in California began receiving the Holy Spirit, speaking in other tongues, and great revival was breaking out in the 60s and the 70s. It sparked a Christian movement in the United States and Europe and Central America which, people, which called people's attention back to a more biblical picture of Christianity in which gifts of the Spirit were active in the church. People were receiving the Holy Spirit in denominal and even traditional church environments. God was just pouring out His Spirit. And interestingly enough, 
I didn't realize until this weekend is that movement was popularized largely by a 14-day revival at none other than at Asbury University in 1970. Eventually, this movement gave way to something that was referred to later as a charismatic movement until it fizzled out in the 80s, but it made a great impact upon modern-day North American Christianity. But up to that point, largely apostolics, Pentecostals, Assembly of God, Spirit-filled churches across the country were really the only ones in America that were seeking after and actively receiving the Holy Spirit. Most denominal Catholic churches didn't believe in it, didn't want any desire to have anything do it. And this, this preacher, this evangelist, T.W. Barnes, began seeking God and asking Him about this Jesus movement that was taking place. And he shared that God began to deal with him about this. He was asking God, is this really you? Is this really taking place? Are you really blessing these people? Are you really pouring out your spirit? That point was not a common thing for churches that were not considered spirit-filled Pentecostal to receive this Pentecostal experience. And he was seeking God. God, is this really you? What do I, how do I respond to this? And he says that God gave him a vision of a mountain. And he said he saw that he and his congregation were ascending the summit of that mountain, that they were, had made progress up on that mountain near the, near the top, not at the summit, but near the top. And he said they were striving and they were pushing and they were fighting to get to the top. It was a hard mountain. It was a steep mountain. It required sacrifice and it required commitment and it required consecration. But he saw that he and the congregation that he was leading was pressing their way higher and higher up that mountain. He said as he was climbing that mountain, all of a sudden he heard the roar of what sounded like a multitude of people receiving the Holy Spirit at the base of that mountain. And he said he looked back down that mountain and there were Catholics and Methodists and Protestants and mainline denominal Christians and people from every walk and place of life receiving the Holy Spirit, seeking after God, crying out for more of an awakening of God in their life. And he said in that moment, he asked God, God, what should my response be? He said the Lord gave him three things. He said, number one, He said that when you see me blessing people and pouring out my spirit that are not a part of your group or connected to your congregation, he said, you never throw rocks at them. Don't ever throw down rocks at those people. I'm blessing them. He said, number two, when they get near to you, you reach out a hand and you help them. You lift them up. You pull them up higher on that mountain. You pull them up to a greater place of awakening and spiritual revelation and realization. And he said, finally, just because I'm blessing them at the base, don't you ever think that you can go back down to where you started, but you keep on persevering and pressing forward to higher heights in me. And what I feel in the Holy Ghost today, Connection Point Church, 
is a realization that God is truly pouring out a revival in this last days. That as this world is getting darker and darker and darker, that as people's hearts are waxing worse and worse, that God is responding to this world by pouring out His Spirit upon all flesh. But we are to keep on pressing and stirring our hearts for a greater hunger and a greater move. Let us not get ever apathetic or content with where we are, but let us keep on pressing higher and pressing further. I want to tell you, this is not a time for us to backslide. This is not a time for us to be apathetic. This is not a time for us to get cold in our heart. But if we want to be a part of the revival that God is pouring out in this world, then we need to cry out like those Methodist students are at Asbury University and all over this world. God, I need more of you. And so all over this place, I want us just to respond here today. If we could just begin to bow our head or make our way forward, I just want to open this altar.